Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, I, um, I love uh, this, this week. I love our journey in Advent. Uh, it's been a great couple of weeks together. And, uh, you know, we've been in this progression of Advent, kind of learning how to wait and linger a little bit as we move closer to the Christmas season. Well, uh, as we do that, this third week is one of my favorite weeks in all of the Advent season, and that is for a couple of reasons. And you may have noticed that there's a couple of things that stand out. Uh, The first is the Advent candle this week, which, as you can see, is not royal purple. It is... Uh, it is pink. pink. Uh, now, this third week of Advent traditionally carries with it the theme of joy. And uh, the color of the candle, as you see, turns from this royal uh, purple to the color of pink. Actually, the, the name of the color is Gaudete. And what that mean, that word means, that word is literally translated into the word rejoice. It is also a word that means the color rose. Isn't that cool? So there you go, some trivia for you. It means to celebrate, to rejoice, and it can also be translated as the color rose. And so there is a visual shift in our progression of Advent this week. There's another shift that you'll, you'll hear here in just a moment, but there's another shift as we move from the first two weeks of Advent. We've been lingering in the Old Testament passages in the Old Testament and the prophets. We've been in the uh, book of Isaiah, but the shift in the third week of Advent moves us from uh, focuses on the Old Testament prophets to New Testament stories of the birth of Jesus. This is when Advent just starts to feel familiar and wonderful, right? This is why we get to come to this week and hear these stories of Jesus, and we actually get to experience joy in the familiar story. Uh, that we know. So if you remember, like I said, we were in the book of Isaiah last week. We talked about how the coming of Jesus begins to answer the cry and prayer for help that we heard uh, in the first week of Advent from the prophet Isaiah. We talked last week about several reversals that happen when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes into the world. We walked through Isaiah's vision of how those who are lost and wandering become people with direction and purpose. We talked about how enemies are welcomed into the family. We talked about how broken families are healed. We talked about how warriors are pictured as turning back into farmers in that ancient day. That the cry for battle will be changed into a call for community. All of that happens in the person of Jesus. As the Messiah comes, it's peace only possible through God. It's inspiring. It's challenging. And uh, I know we, can, we left very grateful. So as we enter this third week of Advent, we take this jump to the New Testament and we read the captivating story of the birth of Jesus. So I don't know about you, but this certainly brings joy to my heart as we hear these familiar passages. So we're going to read this together. We're going to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. It's, it's a lot, so just hang in there with me. It'll all be on the screen, but you can open up your Bibles or open up your, uh, oh, the Bibles on your devices as well if you'd like to follow along. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, 
David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in snuggly strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds uh, staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy, right? That's how we know it. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined with a, by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. It's nice to read that story, isn't it? <laughs> Love it. We just sang a song a moment ago called Joy to the World. So what I'd like to do as we look at these scriptures today, I'd like to use the idea of song and talk a little bit about joy to the world as a way to kind of understand what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to be a little bit creative with the idea of song to try to capture what's happening with Jesus' birth. We're actually going to look at a couple of songs that we see in scripture. So let's talk about the song Joy to the World for a moment. We just sang that. I learned a few things about this song this last week, which is really fascinating. Joy to the World is, uh, a well no- is well known to you and me and is often one of the main themes of Advent and Christmas. But did you know that it was actually written as a song about the second coming of Jesus, not the first coming, about his second Advent, which is yet to come. That's, its original intent was to write about his second coming. Did you know that? After it was published, after it became known, it was more widely used in Advent and Christmas as a song of praise for his first coming, the birth of Jesus. And that's why we still sing it today. It works. It's really great. But it was intended originally to talk about his second coming. Now, this is kind of fun because the song connects. If we, think, if we understand this song a little bit, it, we, it connects to the, a few other songs that we see in Scripture, all centered around the coming of Jesus and what joy that, that brings to all of us. Joy of the World was written by a guy named Isaac Watts. Maybe you're familiar with that name, maybe not. But he was a prolific songwriter, and he ended up writing over 700 songs or hymns of praise and worship to Jesus. One thing I didn't know, but that I learned this week, is that young, as a young man, Isaac Watts often complained about the music that he heard in church. I'm sure this doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> we all love it. But Isaac thought the music in church was boring, hard to sing, and lacked true heart-level zeal. Fascinating, huh? So, he was talking to his father once about this, and his father challenged him to stop complaining about it, and then to do something about it. So his father said to him, if you don't like it, Isaac, write a better song. (laughs) And he spent the better part of his life doing exactly that, (laughs) right? Uh, Joy to the World is one of those. He was the Chris Tomlin of his day, I'm just going to say. One thing that we know for sure is that we and the church at large uh, 
are beneficiaries of his life's work as he helps us uh, praise the Lord. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. So I mentioned that using this song uh, as a song, or, or in using Joy to the World as a song about the first coming of Jesus, it connects to a few other songs, which is kind of fun if, we, if you can follow along here. Um, it connects to other songs that we see in Scripture, all are centered around the coming of Jesus into the world. So I want to look at a few of these. With Isaac's dad's lesson in mind about writing a better song. What did we see at the end of the passage of Luke that we just read? What is it that the angels do after announcing the coming of the Messiah? Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that'll be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, or other translations say, praising God and singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I often think, I don't know, you probably have had this thought, what was that moment like? (laughs) Obviously, what was that moment like when just the one angel came and was starting to talk uh, with the shepherds, but then when they were joined by the, the choir of heaven, What did that sound like? What did that stir in them? And we've said this before in years past, I bet they ran to find this Messiah. They sing this unique song of joy, exuberant in their joy at the announcement that God is finally here. So they sing a very particular song, one that we need to be reminded of. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, 13 through 14, I like how the message says it. Uh, At once the angel was joined by the huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the highest, or in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who praise him. So we know this passage well. These angels singing a song that we, humanity, need to be reminded about. There's another song that happens around the coming of Jesus. And it's one that Mary sang in response to her time with an angel. (laughs) To hear, it's, her, it's the one that she's saying uh, in her response, learning that she would be the one to bear the Messiah. It's often called the Magnificat, or Mary's Song of Praise. And the first line of it uh, goes like this. It's in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 46 through 47. I'm sorry, I don't have a slide for this. But it reads, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Oh, how my soul sings. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And she goes on to talk about that she's seen and heard (laughs) and just uh, overwhelmed by what God would do for her and for us all. So we've got two really fantastic songs that we see here in Scripture kind of centered around the coming of Jesus. But there's another song that I want to mention too um, that early Christians would have known uh, and likely sung and it was about what Jesus did for us all. This is a bit of an unusual text for Advent uh, but when you hear it, uh, and when you're reminded of it, you'll, you'll recognize how closely this ties into the story of Christmas. So the song that we're going to look at is from Philippians chapter 2. Maybe that rings some bells for you. That's a fairly well-known scripture. But it's actually believed to be one of the earliest Christian hymns that we have recorded in scripture. Actually, it was really awesome. Casey uh, uh, spoke on this at our Uh, Cookies and Carols event uh, this last week, and we didn't connect about that. I didn't know he was going to share about that. So, hey, look, the Lord is uniting our hearts in all of these things. It's really great. So Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, though he, Jesus, was God, 
he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the, highest, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's like a crescendo of an amazing song, right? I love it. I love this passage. Maybe I've mentioned before, but I remember this passage very well because it was one that I memorized back when I was in junior high. We had to memorize it word for word as we were heading out on this mission trip. Uh, I'm not sure that I could recite it all uh, now. I haven't practiced it in a a while, but I deeply love this passage. So when Paul writes these first few lines of what became Philippians chapter 2 in his letter, he writes it in the form of a song, a hymn or a poem, and it's likely that his readers would have known this song. Uh, it's a form of, it's an early form of liturgy, and it's a song expressing worship of the one, the word, made flesh. Jesus come down to us. So it's very Christmassy. I love it. <laughs> we, see, we see the story in this passage. It begins with Jesus in the highest place possible. He's named as being in very nature God. And I don't know, maybe that's the course of the song that they sing. Then it talks about him doing what we celebrate here in this time of year. He steps into our story. He gives up his divine privileges and takes on the humble position of being born as a human. And in John 1, 14, a passage we look at every Advent, we read in the message, I love how it says it, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And here's why this is important. Because we, we celebrate, what we celebrate, we celebrate as Jesus steps into our story. And what we see, the song from the angels, that initial response from Mary, what this song directs us to as we think about what Jesus has done for us, his coming down to us, what Jesus is doing is helping us relearn a song we once knew. The song that we used to sing with God in the garden when we walked in step with his spirit. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we knew harmony with God. We were able to walk in his very presence. Humanity walked in his very presence. Nothing in the way. Genesis 1, 27 through 28 reads, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. We're partners in this. (laughs) We're walking hand in hand, step by step. And God looked at what he had made uh, and said that it was good. And everything, uh, and evening passed and morning came, marking that last day of creation. What we see at the beginning of the story is that humanity was in step with God. Walking in the garden, walking in his very presence, We knew the song. We could sing the tune. We had the harmony down. But that wasn't enough for us. We grasped after equality with God. We were convinced to try to make something of ourselves. So humanity rejected God and his ways, and sin entered the world. Eugene Peterson writes about this after this happened, that Uh, For generations, many tried their hand at speaking for God, at speaking the word of God. Humanity tried to sing its own tune. They shouted advice and counsel, rebuke and guidance to other people, and the net effect over time 
was confusion. So in the garden, sin silenced the melody. It broke the song. But we are not without hope. Amen? For, God's, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only song, or son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Though he, Jesus, was God, he didn't think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest, of, highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If in the garden sin silenced the melody and broke the song, then in Advent Jesus comes and writes a better song. (laughs) We grasped after equality with God. Jesus, on the other hand, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. We were convinced to make something of ourselves and Jesus, Jesus made himself nothing for us. While what follows from our sin is a trajectory of brokenness and death, what follows from Jesus' death is resurrection, healing, and brand new life. It's the ultimate reversal that Jesus goes from death to life and invites us to come along. And because he did this, God elevated him to the highest place, the place of highest honor, and gave him the name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. In Advent, Jesus writes a better song. Jesus comes to teach us what it means to sing in harmony with God again. Uh, Pastor Holly and I were, were talking about uh, these kinds of things, or songs and choirs and bands, uh, we had a little bit of fun talking about that this last week. Um, have you ever been to a middle school band concert or any band concert? <laughs> and you know that moment, uh, any, I'll say any band concert, because you know that moment when you hear, whether it's the orchestra or band, and they're, they're gathered in front where they're going to perform, but maybe they haven't quite warmed up yet. And so they all just start to warm up right? And it's like a chaos, it's chaos of sound, right? It does not sound good. (laughs) It's kind of all over the place. And then what happens is uh, as they, maybe they're they're doing their own thing to warm up and then maybe the director steps up front and, and gets them all at least playing the same note. And all of a sudden, maybe there's no harmony, but maybe they're playing in unison and everything starts to come together. You remember this? You know what this is like? (laughs) And then Maybe the next thing they play is uh, a a melody and and harmony, and it starts to have beauty. See, this is what a a good way to think about what Jesus has done for us. Maybe after the garden, what it sounded like for humanity is the chaos of sound that you typically hear when a band starts to warm up. But Jesus comes along through his death and resurrection, through his invitation of faith, and gets us all playing on the same note, walking in step with him. He's our guiding, he's our guide, he's our director, and we sing our harmony with the song of Jesus. What joy <laughs> that he's come to give that to us. In Advent, Jesus writes a better song, and we get swept up in it. 
We hear the Lord himself rejoicing and singing over us, offering us forgiveness and new life. And we start to pick up the melody again, learning the rhythm and feeling out our part. That's what we get to do in the coming of Jesus. We get to join in the better song and sing out the anthem of the first Christmas and the anthem of the one that's yet to come, the advent that's yet to come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I bring you good news that will, I, I, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the angel said. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, the choir of heaven, praising God and singing the song that we need to know, the song that we're invited into, the song that Jesus has rewritten. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. So I want to encourage you to spend some time thinking and reflecting this week as we're in the week of joy as we participate in the Advent season. What can you do to participate in this chorus of joy and hope that resonates in us, through us, connecting us to the heart of God? What are some things that you can do to participate in the joy, in the chorus of joy, uh, reflecting that song to those around us this week? I want to encourage you. I mean, spend some time talking with maybe your spouse, your family, your friend, your small group. Come up with a couple of things that you can do that'll put uh, this joy-filled uh, experience, the song, on display for those around us. Uh, we're going to end. I'm going to invite the worship team up. But we're going to end by watching this really incredible, uh, it's just a two-minute video that I think will really drive home the point of this for us. And then uh, we will... Uh, worship together again. So let's watch this. <laughs> 